Good morning, everyone. This morning, we are going all in in the Gospel of Matthew, starting chapter 12, verse 38. If you don't have a Bible, would you just raise your hand? The ushers are in the back. They would love to get one to you. If you do get one of the blue Bibles, uh, it's on page 476. That's, again, Matthew chapter 12, starting verse 38. And we've been tracking with Jesus over the past few weeks in chapter 12, <clears throat> excuse me, and we've seen Jesus perform miracles. We saw him, a man that had a hand that, that he couldn't open. Jesus opened it, and then it would be functioning. And then we saw him cast out a demon out of a man, and the whole time, the Pharisees and scribes have just kind of been there, seeing what Jesus is doing, hearing what he's been saying, and they've been questioning him the entire time. So earlier on, they were questioning how Jesus and his disciples kept the Sabbath. And then they started questioning Jesus' authority, accusing him of being of, of Satan and Beelzebub. And today, they continue with a the question. They, they ask if Jesus can give them a sign. So look at verse 38 with me. It says, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, being Jesus, saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. So they've been witnessing Jesus performing signs, and it's like, what have you done for me lately? Let's, let's see another one, Jesus. Let's, let's really see if you have the power. I'm not quite sure what they expected Jesus to do if he's kind of like a, a circus monkey, right? Dun, 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 dun. You know, he has the little red hat or something. But Jesus has been performing signs, but they... They are asking from a place of not wanting to follow him, not wanting to believe him, but to discredit him. And so they're, they're asking Jesus, continue to show us more. Show us more so that we could use it as evidence against you. We might not be coming at Jesus sometimes at that same way, but we ask for Jesus for a sign, right? We, we see what Jesus has done and what he's said, and we, we kind of go, hey, Jesus, I, I, I know you're going to take care of it. I, I know that but will you just give me a hint of which way you're leaning in this area of my life, right? We, we do the exact same thing. So how does Jesus respond to the Pharisees? Uh, just a hint. It's not going to go very well. All right, here we go. Verse 39. It says, but he, being Jesus, answered them. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So let's just stop right there. If we're going to even talk about the sign of Jonah, we have to remember the story of Jonah. Jonah is one of the best and worst prophets in the history of Israel. Many times he's referred to as the prodigal prophet. And Jonah was sitting at home and all of a sudden he heard the word of the Lord say, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and tell them their, about their sinful ways and they need to return and repent to the Lord. And Jonah, in, in his you know, prophet-ness, you know, I guess, you know, being a great prophet, gets up, instead of going to Nineveh, goes the exact opposite direction, right? It, and every time you read it, you go, why would he do that? Why would he, if he trusts in the Lord, the Yahweh, the one true God, and he tells him a direct, um, you just go talk to the Ninevites, how does he turn and go the opposite direction? How is that true faith? And when you start dip, you know, digging into the story, you start learning that, you know what, the city of Nineveh was part of the, the, the Assyrians, and the Assyrians a few generations before had come and attacked Jerusalem. And they were the definition of pure evil. They didn't just come and overtake a city. They came to humiliate cities. They would dismember you while you were still alive. And that, that's the kind of mindset of the people of Nineveh. And Jonah's 
parents or grandparents were the product of that. So just think of someone who had lost their parents in September 11th, and they are feeling called to then go witness to Al-Qaeda over in the Middle East. That is the type of situation that we are seeing with Jonah. So Jonah gets up, and he doesn't go to Nineveh. What does he do? He goes the opposite direction, and he goes and he gets on a boat. And when you read the book of Jonah, it says God hurled a storm at this boat. And so Jonah's sleeping, and all of a sudden the crew wakes him up and says, wake up, wake up. A huge storm has come, and we are trying to save our life. Throw anything you can off the boat. And they also say, whatever God you worship, pray to him, because some God is mad at us. And after uh, you know, doing a few things, they cast lots, and they, they figured out that Jonah, because it's because of Jonah's sin is why this storm is upon them. And Jonah says, hey, throw me overboard. And the crew, they say, no, 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 we're, we're going to get out of this. We're, we've been on the seas our whole life. We're going to go down and row. And they're, they're down on the bottom of the ship rowing. And this isn't like row, row, row your boat, right? This is like for your life. We're, everything's on the line. Row, okay? That, that's the story of Jonah, at least part of it. It'll get us to the part where we need. Continue on. In verse 40, it says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus says, so in that moment when the crew was rowing and they couldn't get out of the storm and Jonah finally said, no, guys, quit it. Throw me into the sea to save yourselves. The crew reluctantly picked him up and they threw him in. And as soon as they threw Jonah into the seas, what happened? The storm subsided. And then the very famous part of Jonah's story happened where this great fish comes and swallows him up. Have you ever taken a moment and actually thought about what that was like? <laughs> Being in the belly of a great fish? It's dark, I'm sure. It's, it's very tight quarters. It's, um, he's amongst the, the stomach acid and probably other fish that this big fish had already eaten. And, it's, and he's there for three days and he's, he's down there and they're going towards the roots of the mountains Right, going towards the depths, and that is where Jonah starts praying. And so Jonah sacrificed himself for the crew, these pagan crew, to atone for sin, for his sin, but to atone for sin. And in that moment, what was Jonah doing? Jonah was taking the role of a prophet. The prophet in that day and age was someone who was in the temple. He was, they were there to atone for the sins of the people. They would make the sacrifices. They would be speaking to God. They would, they would bring God and the people back together. And what Jonah, Jonah sacrificed himself for the good of others. And what Jesus is saying, he foretells of his crucifixion. He says, just like Jonah was in the belly of a great fish for three days, I'm going to be in the earth for three days atoning for you, atoning for your sin. Jesus continues, verse 41. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the, at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So first, Jonah was acting as a priest, but then Jonah continued on. He, he, he's spit up from the great fish and he, he brushes himself off. And he had promised God that if, he, that if God saved him from the great fish, he would go to Nineveh. And he makes his way, and Nineveh was a massive city, a, th a three days walk from one end to the other, hundreds of thousands of people. And Jonah walks to the center of Nineveh, and he starts to preach. 
And people who are the very definition of wickedness and darkness start hearing the message of Jonah of repent or everything will be destroyed, start to repent. And the, word of the words of Jonah make it all the way up to the king and the king tears his clothes and, and puts on sackcloth and ashes and makes a decree. No one's gonna do work today because we are gonna repent for what we have done. And hundreds of thousands of people repent because of the message of Jonah. Jonah was an amazing preacher. But what does the end of verse 41 say? Something greater than Jonah was there. What was that? It was Jesus. So Jonah first was a priest, atoning for his own sin, sacrificing himself for the crew on the boat. And then he went on to continue in the role of a prophet in Nineveh. And something greater than him is here, which is Jesus. Jesus also is going to take the role of a priest, sacrificing himself for all of mankind. He's also taken the role of a prophet preaching truth. Something greater is here, a better priest and a better prophet. And then in verse 42, it continues on. It kind of takes a weird turn. First, we've been talking about Jonah and how Jesus is greater than Jonah. Right, Jonah, he preached, and hundreds of thousands of people returned and, and turned and repented. Jesus has been preaching, and billions of lives have been changed. And then continuing on, verse 42, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Now, if you're reading along, you're going, wait, we were just talking about Jonah. Now, now over to Solomon, what's going on? So with Solomon, Solomon's in 1 Kings. And if you look at uh, chapter 10, the queen of Sheba or the queen of the south travels days and weeks to hear the wisdom of Solomon, right? Because Solomon, on his, at his inauguration, um, the Lord comes to him and says, I am so pleased with you. I will grant you anything you wish. And Solomon could have asked for wealth, riches, power, control, um, and out of everything he could have asked for, he asked for what? Wisdom. And God gives him wisdom, but also blesses him with abundance. The, the era of Solomon is considered the golden age of Israel. And so Solomon is building the temple. He's building palaces upon palaces. And, and he's sitting on the throne and he's, he's using his wisdom. And the queen of Sheba hears about the wisdom of Solomon and says, I need to go hear this guy. So she travels all the way to hear King Solomon and she's blown away. She's walking through, uh, through Jerusalem and she sees all the palaces and the temple and, and then she sits down and asks Solomon all that she wishes or desires. And after hearing the wisdom of Solomon, you know what she does? She actually praises God. What she says is, she says, you know what? The Lord your God loves Israel so much that he has put you, King Solomon, in charge of it to, to give justice and righteousness. King Solomon was in the role of a king. At the end of verse 42, what does it say again? Behold, something greater than Solomon is here. And so Jesus is saying, you know what? Jonah was acting as a priest. I'm a better priest. Jonah was acting as a prophet. I'm a much greater prophet. King Solomon was a king, the wisest of kings, the golden age of Israel. I am a better king. I'm your better prophet, priest, and king. And the Pharisees and scribes, should have, they should have fallen down on their knees and said, that is the Messiah. That is who we're waiting for. But they didn't. And so what Jesus is saying is, you know what? My, my words are better than any words you've ever heard. I am bringing the truth. I'm bringing the truth of God. 
My works, my works are atoning for all of your sin, the, the history of the world, all of mankind. I am a better priest. And my rule, I'm bringing pure justice and righteousness. The closest thing that we have in today's um, day and age is like, if I said, you know what? We have uh, someone, a politician who is the best president or would be the best president, would be the best senator, as well as would be the best Supreme Court justice in one person, right? But we don't ever put someone all in all three roles. But Jesus is saying, you know what? I am in all three of these roles and I am the very, I'm the best of them. And I am the sign. You need to listen to me. You, you want a sign? Look at me. Hear my words. See my actions, what I've done and what I will continue to do. I am giving you the sign of Jesus. Now, sitting here, you might have heard about Jesus. This might be the first time. This could be the millionth time. What Jesus is saying is you cannot come into contact with Jesus. You cannot hear his words. You cannot read about his actions, about, about his acts of salvation. You cannot see his rule of pursuing justice and righteousness and be unchanged. You, could, you cannot. It is impossible. You come into contact with Jesus, you will be changed in one of two directions. Jesus continues. He, he challenges us in, in one of two directions. You will be changed if you come into contact with Jesus. First, the first way that you will be changed or you can be changed is distance. You can create distance between you and Jesus. I mean, I don't know if you watched the baseball game last night. It's kind of like winning the World Series and the Dodgers after last night's loss. There's distance between the Dodgers and winning the pennant. But when you come into contact with Jesus, you can create distance between the two. Look at verse 43. It says, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the, that person is worse than before. So also will it be with this evil generation. I don't know if you've ever read that before, but if that's your first time, you're going, what is Jesus saying? This guy is out of his mind. Every time I read it, I have to double check and say, is that really in the Bible? What is Jesus saying? He's, I mean, just kind of a recap, he, he's saying that there's someone who is possessed by a demon. The demon leaves the person, decides, you know what? I actually like possessing people instead of being out here in the open air. Goes back to the person that he first possessed and is like, this is really nice. I'm going to go get my buddies. Bring seven other demons and they have a demon frat house made in that person. This is a wild story. It's, kind of, it's a parable. Jesus is almost pointing back to the man that he cast out the demon back in verse 22. And he's using him as an example. I mean, it's, it's kind of appropriate being the week of Halloween that we have a Jesus ghost story, right? I mean, that's... But what is Jesus saying? What Jesus is saying, you know what? If you come into contact with me and you, you hear my words, you, you see my actions or my works... And you also experience my authority in which I am bringing perfect justice and perfect righteousness. You have a chance to be a part of me. But if you don't fill yourself with me, you're going to be far worse than you were before. 
I mean, this can be the atheists who they hear about Jesus and they're just so turned off by it, they don't ask any more questions. Or one of the largest growing portions of our society called the nuns. Not like a Catholic nun, I'm not talking about that. But someone who has no spiritual affiliation. Right? Every time they hear about Jesus, I've heard it before, don't want to hear it, I'm actually offended by it that you'd even bring it up. Right? Their heart is hardened. But for me at our church, the thing that scares me, the thing that is more even of a killer is apathy to the words, works, and authority of Jesus. It's to, to hear about what Jesus has said and see what he's done and, and to see his authority and, and hear on Sunday morning and then go, that's nice. Let's go get a donut. Or, you know, that's nice. Oh, the game's on. Let's get out of here. And there's no mulling over what was said or what we've read or even having time away from here in which you are getting into God's word, connecting with him through prayer, we're just, you know what, that's, I, I got this Jesus guy. He's on my side. This is a huge temptation for us here in South Orange County where everything's nice and pretty because every time we hear about what Jesus has done or what he has said or, or his authority, it should bring us onto our knees just in worship of our one true God, just like the Queen of Sheba. When the Queen of Sheba saw what, everything that God has done through King Solomon, you know what, she, what happened to her? It says, in 1 Kings, it says, the, she had breath in her no longer. She was speechless because she had been witnessing what the Lord had done through his people. And every time we hear about what Jesus has done, this should get us fired up. I was kind of hoping for like an amen or something, but it's okay, not this service. Right? We should get fired up because that means that we have no more shame, no more guilt. We can go about this life where we are, we are with Jesus. But you know what? If we are just apathetic to his words, his work, and his authority, all that's doing is we have some portion of our heart where we're just we're hardening it. We're solidifying. We're, we're, we're protecting it from Jesus, not letting him in. And so we can, with our apathetic way, apathetic way we can treat Jesus like car insurance, Car, you're like, car insurance? What? I, I love I have car, that I have car insurance, right? If I ever have an accident or anything, they're, they're there to, to help me, make me whole. But I, you know, I call my car insurance agent. He gets me set up. And as long as I continue paying the payment and I'm a decent driver, you know, if I get a ticket every once in a while, I'll get caught doing the wrong thing. I'll go do a day uh, at driving school. But for the most part, my, drive, my car insurance doesn't change my life. I'm glad I have it, but it doesn't change anything about me. And the Jesus car insurance is, you know what, as long as I'm a good person and I come to church and I don't really check that manual very often, I, I, I'm sure it's there to protect me. I have Jesus, who I know the answer to every Sunday school question, you know, Jesus. And, but after I leave the walls of the church, like I don't really think about it. I don't, I don't apply, about it, apply it to my life. I'm, I'm not talking about it. We can't treat Jesus like we treat our car insurance because all that is doing is saying, you know what, I want the benefits of Jesus, but I don't want Jesus. Kind of like in Luke 17, where Jesus heals 10 lepers, right? He heals 10 lepers and he tells them to go to the priest so that they can be, be welcomed back into society. How many of those lepers return to Jesus to thank him? One, one. Nine others just wanted the benefits of Jesus. They didn't want to actual Jesus. And as believers, we need to get fired up about Jesus. That You know what? I don't care what it threatens in my life. If it threatens my life or my comfort or my control, it is all to Jesus. So we can create distance if we're like that with Jesus because this is a stern warning. That You know what? Jesus likens it to being possessed by eight demons. I don't know about you. That's scary. So first, you can create distance. 
right? Second, closeness. We can, we can be drawing ourselves close to Jesus. Look at verse 46 with me. So after this parable of, of demons, Jesus goes in and says, while he is still speaking to the people, behold, the mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my, and my mother. Now, you could hear that and go, how does, how does Micah get closeness from that? Right? That kind of sounds like he's distancing himself from his family, doesn't it? We don't know if Jesus ever actually spoke to his earthly mother and brothers, but Jesus is using it to make a point. This isn't an indictment of his mother and brothers or even our earthly family. What, he, what, Jesus, what Jesus is saying is that, you know what? When you accept me, when you have faith in me, when, you start, when that starts playing out into your words and you start doing the will of the Father, you know what? You're not going to be creating distance from me. I'm going to draw you close. And not just where you're part of the group and, and I can count you as a number, but you know what? You're going to be as close, as close as family. Now, looking, thinking back about when I was younger and we'd gather as a family for Thanksgiving, and my grandfather who had all six of his kids and, and their spouses and all 25 or 30 grandkids around the table. Just, I mean, thing, it was crazy, craziness, right? Just with Thanksgiving around the corner. Um, he would look around and he'd go, for a guy that had very little in terms of earthly possessions, would say, boy, I'm rich. Boy, I'm rich. Just looking at, at his family and, and how they wanted to be around him and, and interact with him. And as Christians, those that are following Jesus, we're going to get to heaven and look around our, our heavenly family and go, wow, we're rich. Think of all the stories of, of how Jesus worked through these different people in different ways and we're, we're doing the works of the Father. And, and the Apostle Paul, he talks about how this works out. Now, Jesus kind of states it, and then the Apostle Paul, he kind of unpacks it for us a little bit in Galatians. In, in Galatians 3, uh, verse 26, the Apostle Paul says this, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to a promise. So it doesn't matter where you're from, what family you were born in, uh, what pain you have, what pain you've caused. You are welcomed into the family of God, heirs with a promise through faith in Jesus. And as you embrace that closeness, you're just going to be living out it, what that family means even more and more. Uh, Paul continues on in chapter 4 where he talks about, he says, And because you are sons... God has sent the spirit of the son's, son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir through God. So then once you enter this family, you are given the Holy Spirit, right? The very spirit of the son. He's the one that takes up that place that was left empty by the demon, right? So we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit does is it changes our desires from being our desires to we wanting the desires of the Father, and when you desire what the Father desires, guess what? You're going to be doing what the Father wants you to be doing. Our, our, our very desires, you can't help it. This is the very mark of being part of the family of God. Uh, this week, I had the opportunity 
to hear a Christian writer and speaker, uh, uh, David Kinnaman, and he's, he's written a bunch of Christian books like You Lost Me and Unchristian, really talking about how the church and Christians uh, interact with society today and what, what society thinks of them and, and how, Christian, how actually we live out this Christian life. And he was talking about how over 50% of people outside of the church think it's really weird uh, to pray with a stranger that you, in public. Like if you come across someone and something's going on and you talk to them, if you just say, hey, can I pray with you? For some reason, one out of every two people think that's really weird. So having written about this in his book, he and his son, who was 11 at the time, they go on a hike. And as they're hiking, they're, they're coming down this hill and they come across this gal who's, who's fallen and she's really hurt her hip. And so they offer her help and they they give her some food and they, they start talking to her. And at the end of the conversation, David asks this lady, who's not a Christian, says, could, I, could we pray for you? And she kind of gives him kind of that, like, I'm not sure look and says, sure. And so uh, David and his son, they start praying for him. Nothing, you know, nothing too crazy, just, Lord, we pray that you'll heal this hip and whatever's going on and, and provide for this gal and, and Amen. And they, they pray and they get up and they, they start walking away. And David's son looks back at David and says, Dad, we really believe this stuff, don't we? We really believe this stuff. Why would he say that? Why would an 11-year-old perceive just praying with a stranger and say, Dad, we, would really, we really believe this stuff? Because when you believe it, it comes out through your actions, no matter how many people think, think it's weird. And when you live it out, it's going to point back to your faith. Our faith produces how we live, and then our live, how we live points back to our faith. And so if you're here this morning and you're going, you know what? Why do they keep talking about this Jesus guy? What, like, what about it? Why? And he's 2,000 years ago. I just have some questions. You know, I would love to talk to you. Like, if you think that, you know, it's just not for you, I still want to talk to you. But if you're here today and you you know what? I'm kind of doing this kind of spiritual checkup and, and over the last month, maybe even the last year, I, I just look at it and you know, I have been kind of apathetic. I've been more excited about the coffee after service than, than service itself. And, and I'm kind of the same, which as we've just discussed, which means that you're actually farther away from Christ than, than closer to him. Then you know what? I would, I would just challenge you. you know, start praying, Lord, just make my heart sensitive to your ways. Help me get excited about how we see you move in history and today. That when I see you, I will just be like the Queen of Sheba and be out of breath in worship of you. And the rest of you just keep fire, being fired up, okay? Hear about the words of Jesus. Say, yes, that is my guy. I want to be closer to him. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this morning to get into your word. Uh, sometimes we look at your word and we go, Lord, what, what are you saying? But you have solid biblical truths that we can implement in our lives. Lord, we thank you for your son. We thank you for his word of truth for they are the very words of God. We thank you for his, his work on, in this earth, Lord, for it provides us the salvation, right? He has atoned for our sins for a once and final sacrifice. Lord, we thank you for his authority in which he has pursued pure righteousness and justice. Lord, help us to be people who are drawn close to Jesus, so close that we are a part of your family. So we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.